Welcome to First Edition News. This is Family Life. In this 22nd year of the reign of Caesar Augustus, Pax Romana, or Roman peace, has dominated the empire, spreading from the southern reaches of Europe to the borders of Parthia in the east. But that peace has a fragile hold for some under the hand of Rome. Caesar's latest decree has sparked new tensions in the nation of Israel. Augustus has required the registration of every subject of the Roman world, including all Israelis. And not only is such a census a violation of Jewish religious tradition, it's thought to be a certain precursor to an increase in taxation, a burden that's already weighing heavily on the shoulders of Israel's citizens. There is peace in the empire, but at what price? We go to Terry Diener in our Western Bureau for a report from the capital in Rome. Why has Caesar Augustus ordered a registration of all who live in the Roman Empire? We pose this question to Gaius Calvisius, consul of the Roman Senate. Consul Calvisius, what's behind this registration of all Roman subjects? He is Pontifex Maximus, head of the Roman state and head of the Roman religion. He does not answer to me personally for his decisions. Is this registration a sign that taxes will be increased throughout the empire? <laughs> Again, our Supreme Caesar does not answer to me, but if it does mean an increase, I'm sure it is a justified sacrifice for the greatness of Rome. How so? Look around. Do you see the splendor of the city? See this great form of Augustus? Caesar paid for all of it from his own treasury. Roman citizens should be willing to do as much, especially considering all that Rome has done for them. Rome has heavily taxed its subjects, taken over their governments, and... Look what the empire has accomplished. We've built roads, protected trade routes, why there's peace and prosperity throughout the world, all because of Rome. We even allow certain provinces to observe their superstitious religious customs. Such as Israel. Uh, yes. Israel has been the site of a number of uprisings against the government. Do you foresee any trouble as a result of this decree that Caesar has... I have no more time for questions. Do you think Israeli rebels will... Guards, get rid of him! Silence! The consul is finished with you. Do you understand? Uh, 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 of course. Thank you for your time. Terry, I think you touched a sore spot with the council there. It is a sore spot indeed. Not only has Israel chafed under the rule of Rome, there have been certain predictions about the nation of Israel that have been troubling to the Roman authorities. Roman writer Suetonius wrote of an ancient and abiding belief in the Orient that those coming out of Judah would ultimately gain the empire of the world. This oracle was also mentioned in the writing of the historian Tacitus. Now, this sounds very much like the Jewish tradition of a Messiah coming someday. Have the Romans given much credence to this oracle? Until recently, no. But these, coupled with certain recent astronomical signs, have made a number of Romans take a second look. And we'll keep an eye on that story as well. Terry Diener reporting from the capital in Rome. Signs and omens aside, the prospect of an increase in taxes has heightened an already tense situation throughout the Middle East. For reaction from Israel's capital city, Bill Price is standing by in Jerusalem. Yeah, I'm standing in the streets of the sacred city of Jerusalem, streets filled with the faithful as well as the foreigner, and of course, also filled with the ever-present soldier of Rome. Out of my way, Hebrew. Even though the city has regained a measure of prosperity under Roman rule, for many, 
That's not enough. Everything I buy, everything I sell, Romans, Romans have their hands on it. Hezekiah, seller of purple cloth, tells us what it's like to do business under the rule of Rome. It is good, but the Romans, they tax it as I buy the cloth, and they tax it as I sell it. I buy a piece of land and they tax it. I grow food for my family to live and they take a portion of it. They take a fifth of my wine. One fifth. They even tax my income. So, if it were possible, you'd welcome the overthrow of the rule of Rome? Did, did I say that? Uh, I didn't say that. Uh, uh, please, I'm, I'm just an old man. I complain. Everybody complains. Now, leave me alone. The constant presence of the Roman military is not the only cause for fear. There are rumored to be spies among the people placed by the Roman-appointed king of Israel, Herod, who monitors and ruthlessly puts a stop to any discontent. Still, there are some that are not afraid to speak out. They come and they take the work of our hands and the sweat of our brow and they use it to feed their bellies. They are dogs, all right, feeding on the fat while we live on the scraps. The land cries out at the touch of their feet on our soil. But the Lord God, Jehovah, he will strike them, and we will be his weapon, the hand that smites them. Only their spilt blood shall finally cleanse this land. There he is. Arrest him. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take me. But you cannot stop us. We will have our kingdom again. Messiah will come, and he will lead us. He will slay you with his right hand, and the throne of David will be restored forever. Our kingdom will be restored! Bill, Bill, it seems the situation remains volatile in this land of Israel. Extremely, Bob, indeed. This nation has a history of national pride and sovereignty and an age-old resentment of any foreign presence in the land. Even the soil from a heathen nation is considered unclean. From Jerusalem, I'm Bill Price. Discontent is brewing in Israel, an uneasy truce with the unconquered nation of Parthia to the east is raising some questions about how Rome intends to handle this. We've got a report now from our reporter in Caesarea, Jeremy Miller. Yeah, Bob, the Roman army wasn't built in a day. With the expansion of the empire, the role of the Roman military has become increasingly important. The march of the Roman legionnaires is a familiar sound here at the Temple of Augustus in Caesarea Philippi, a city originally dedicated to the Roman god Pan. Now it's dedicated to the Roman army and serves as its headquarters in Israel. As the Roman government was expanding into the hands of citizens, the Roman army was taken out of the hands of volunteers and increasingly given to highly trained professional soldiers, creating a presence that's felt from Rome, north to Europe, and throughout the Mediterranean. The armed soldiers patrol the borders with the powerful Parthia, and they're keeping an iron hand on the land of Judea. But how does the army view their role? A centurion spoke to us about the army's assignment. We are here to guard the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, in this backward nation. We protect their trade routes, monitor their borders. Because of us, this Judea has free trade with the rest of the Roman world. We guard the citizens from the rabble that would lead them into rebellion and war. We have brought them peace. We even allow them their religion, but they remain an ignorant and ungrateful people. Nevertheless, our duty is to Rome, and we will fulfill it even in this uncivilized land. Duty and allegiance to Caesar are the hallmarks of Roman soldiers who, under the rule of Augustus, haven't just enlisted for a war, but for life. Yeah, it's a pretty good deal we have here. You get your trading, you get your meals, they provide all your togas and such. No out-of-pocket, you know what I mean? 
I mean, you sign up for 20 years and then retirement. And I'm not just talking about being out of the army. We're talking pension and everything. Then there's Roman citizenship if you stick it out. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. To most observers, the Roman army is dedicated, well-trained, and here to stay. Jeremy, Jeremy, I need to interrupt you here. We're getting some unsubstantiated reports from Jerusalem. Apparently, a Messiah has appeared. We're going to go to the Jewish capital. We've got Sarah Harnish standing by. Sarah, what do you have for us? Well, Bob, I'm here at a busy marketplace in the center of the city, and there's been a lot of talk lately. Ever since the days of the prophets, there have been expectations in many Jewish circles that a deliverer, a Messiah, would come to the nation of Israel. Now, if this expectation should come to pass, it would have a huge political impact on the region, not to mention the religious implications involved. I'm trying to survey the residents here to find out what they know. This gentleman appears to be an Arabian vendor. Excuse me, sir. Ah, customer. I have something you like. Rare spices I bought myself directly from Arabia. Frankincense, pure and... No, not today, sir. I... A little perfume. Uh, women love perfume. Spike not bottled in alabaster. Uh... Sir, what do you know of the rumor that a messiah has come to be king in Israel? <laughs> yes, yes. I have heard the rumors just as I have many times before. There are always rumors of messiah. But I know nothing of a messiah. And I have no king but Caesar. Now perhaps some crystals of myrrh. <laughs> Good as gold. Um, no thank you. Sarah, apparently not everybody shares this hope of a messiah. Bob, no. In fact, there are a variety of expectations as far as the concept of Messiah is concerned. Some think he'll be a political leader. Some think he'll be a priest or a prophet. And then there are others who hold a much bigger vision of some supernatural savior who will sit on David's throne and bring peace to God's chosen people forever. Excuse me, sir. Yes, my child. I see by your garments that you're Jewish. I am a Jew and a scholar of the law. A scribe? Yes. There's been news circulating throughout the city of the arrival of the Messiah. What can you tell us about this? I have heard the rumors, and it has been discussed among the elders of the temple. A number of peasants from Bethlehem are quite excited. They think a king has come to fill the throne of David. So these rumors originated in Bethlehem. Isn't it true that the Messiah will first be revealed there? Uh, yes, yes. So the scriptures say. We did have some shepherds come into the temple spreading a fantastic story of angels and such. But among the wise, we do not give any credence to this. But if your scriptures indicate that the Messiah will be born in the city of David, wouldn't this be... My child, it is much too complicated for someone who is not a scholar of the Torah to understand. Now, it is time for my prayers. Oh God, I thank you that I am not as other men. Bob, as you can see, there are a number of opinions regarding the Messiah. I'm going to attempt to enter the temple and hopefully speak to some of the worshipers there. Thank you, Sarah. We'll check back with you later. Prophet, priest, king, what this Messiah will be, nobody seems to know for sure. But one thing is known. Should the Messiah come, his roots could be found in only one place. We go now to Martha Manika's foster in the hills outside the village of Bethlehem. I'm standing on the eastern plains of Bethlehem beside the Migdal Eder, or Watchtower of the Sheep. According to the oral tradition of the Jews, it is here that the Messiah will first be revealed. Martha, what is unique about these fields? Why should they be the first choice to announce the arrival of this Messiah? 
Bob, there are several reasons that these fields would be a likely choice. I have someone here who can explain. This is Matthias, a shepherd of the Migdal Eder. Matthias, what makes this place so unique? Uh, these lambs, the, these sheep are sacred. They've been chosen for temple sacrifice to atone for our sins. How does this make them different from any other sheep? These sheep are perfect. They have no flaws, just like Messiah, our Savior sent from God. Matthias, I understand that you and the other shepherds witnessed an extraordinary event. Can you tell us about that? Well, we saw, um, it was, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you know, I can't. Well, take your time. Just start from the beginning and tell us what happened. Ah, uh, okay. Um, it was late. Uh, we were watching the flock as usual when suddenly there was a great light that filled the sky. Then an angel of the Lord stood in front of us and said, Do not be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. We were terrified. Uh, uh, the angel said, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. So the angel specifically said that the Messiah had indeed been born? Yes, yes, the Christ, the Messiah. And you were able to find this baby? Oh yes, because the angel actually gave us a sign. He said we would find the baby wrapped in cloths and he would be lying in a manger. We know the babe couldn't be in a home of Bethlehem. It had to be at the con, the inn, which was crowded with travelers. Why else would a mother lay her baby in a feeding trough? Then what happened? Suddenly the skies were filled with angels singing praises to God. We were overcome. We, we fell to the earth like dead men. It was a glorious sight. Then, just as suddenly, the sky was silent and the angels were gone. And what did you do after the angel left? What did we do? We went to find the baby, of course. It was all as the angel had said. At the inn, we found him, a newborn baby boy lying in a manger. It was the Messiah. How can you be so sure this was the Messiah? We are the shepherds of the Migdal Eder. We saw this event with our own eyes, heard it with our own ears. It's just as the prophet had said, Messiah has been born. Thank you, Matthias. Well, an amazing story, Bob. Martha, yes, it is rather incredulous. Have you been able to do any background checking at all into this to put any credibility to this story? Yes, their story does check out. Now remember, these men were expected to be the first to receive this news. And here's something else. The shepherds of the Migdal Eder are the only ones not considered ritually unclean, according to their religion. They would be the only ones actually allowed to enter the temple in Jerusalem. So this perhaps is how the news could have spread into Jerusalem, through the shepherds who actually came to the temple? So it would seem. And one more thing, Bob. These are the fields where the patriarch Jacob kept his flocks, where David spent his youth, and, and where his grandparents, Boaz and Ruth, were wed. So you see, they hold a lot of history for the people of Israel, and especially for these shepherds. It's likely each generation of shepherds have looked for the arrival of the Messiah, and now, well, the long wait is apparently over. Martha, is there any way that you can try to speak with the parents of this baby, this Messiah? I'm on my way to the inn right now. I'll see if I can set up an interview. Great. We'll check back with you later. Martha Manikas Foster reporting from the Watchtower of the Sheep. If the Messiah has truly been born, there are significant and unsettling political implications for the nation of Israel, especially for the court of Herod the Great. Let's go to Tracy Lynn at Herod's Palace. Tracy? 
Bob, I'm on the steps outside Herod the Great's royal palace here in downtown Jerusalem. Herod, a very capable, if volatile, administrator, is considered by most of the Jews to be just a puppet ruler for Rome. And this is bad news for Herod, for if a Messiah has indeed been born, he could legitimately challenge Herod's right to rule. Tracy, do you have any indications that this rumor has reached the royal court so far? Absolutely. If word has spread from the temple into the streets, he has to know. He has to, especially if he has spies planted, as we expect. From your experience dealing with this court, what official response can we expect from Herod the Great? Bob, Herod is a pretty savvy politician. He doesn't want to risk an uprising by acting too soon. I think he'll watch and wait until he knows more, and until he knows how much of a threat this Messiah will be. If Herod does act, Tracy, what is it that we can expect? You can expect the worst, Bob. This is a man who once executed his most trusted friend, his barber, and 300 military leaders, all in a single day's work. So it would seem that he is not a man to cross. He is ruthless in his ambitions, and his ruthlessness is not limited to his political opponents. It extends to his family as well. Herod executed his favorite, his favorite wife, after first having her brother and father killed. He's even put to death two of his own sons that he suspected of plotting against him. And I'm sure that this makes even his favorite son, Antipater, uneasy. Any offspring of Herod is on shaky ground. Even Caesar Augustus himself has been quoted as saying, I'd rather be Herod's dog than his son. Have you been able to make an appointment or secure an interview with Herod as yet? Not yet, Bob, but I'm waiting outside his palace hoping a member of his court or his family will... Wait, wait, I, I think I see his son, Antipater. Antipater! Excuse me, Antipater, have you heard the rumors? Out of the way. Antipater's too busy to waste his time talking to Now, now, Centurion, let her speak. Now, what rumors are you talking about? Is it about my father? Has he said something? No, I'm talking about the rumor that a messiah has been born. Oh, that silly thing. Yes, yes, I've heard. There's always a messiah of some sort sprouting up among the Jews. None of them come to anything, you know. So you're not concerned? <laughs> concerned about a little Jewish baby? Oh, please, hardly. And if this proves to be the real messiah? Listen, there's only going to be one heir to Herod's throne, and it's not going to be some peasant baby of the Jews. And it's going to be... well, it's going to be someone my father chooses. Besides, if Herod sees a real threat to the throne of Israel, he will deal with it. I'm tired of this conversation. Now leave me. Antipater, do you think that- You heard him. Leave. Or would you rather taste the discipline of Rome? Uh, thank you for your time, Antipater. As you can see, Herod apparently does not feel threatened yet. And if and when he does? As I said, you can expect the worst, Bob. Perhaps even the slaughter of innocent children. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Thank you, Tracy Lynn. This is First Edition, and we are reporting on the apparent birth of the Jewish Messiah. According to all indications, this is not a hoax, and this is not an errant rumor. This is a real event, one that could foreshadow momentous changes for the nation of Israel, perhaps changes extending even beyond its border. Now, this birth is reported to have happened in the city of David. We have an update next from Martha Manikis Foster. Martha, where are you? Bob, now I'm standing in the center of the Khan, or inn, here in Bethlehem. Around me are travelers from all across the known world, all members of the tribe of Judah. 
It's here that the baby was born. Martha, have you been able to contact the parents at all? No, they're not giving interviews, but I have located someone who has spoken with the parents. I have with me Hannah. That's Hannah. The midwife who delivered the reported baby, Messiah. Hannah, can you tell us what happened? Well, I was just about to get into bed when who do you think was knocking on my door? The innkeeper's wife, shouting, Come quick, come quick, there's a pregnant woman! I say, Oi, there's always a pregnant woman. Can it wait till morning? She tells me, No, there's a young woman at the end who's about to give birth. It's her first time. So I say to myself, First time, who knows what can happen? So you went to the inn. What did you find when you got there? Ugh, it was so crowded you could hardly move. So I says to the innkeeper, where's this woman? And he points to the cave where the animals are kept. I thought, ugh, giving birth in a stable. Such a thing should not happen. All because of Caesar and his registration. Ugh, don't get me started. What did you see when you entered the stable? What do you think I saw? I saw... A pregnant woman. Poor thing, she was almost a child herself. A little too young for this, I thought. But, eh, what do I know? It was a hard labor, but a quick one. Oh, she was a brave little thing. First time. So many women die, but if she was scared, she didn't show it. I delivered a beautiful, perfect little baby boy. I never get tired of holding a new life in my hands. Can you tell us, was there anything unique, special, about this baby boy? You mean, like, did he shine in the dark or something? <laughs> no, no. This was a perfectly ordinary, beautiful little baby. It wasn't until after that her husband Joseph told me about the whole angel thing coming to her and saying she would bear the Messiah in her own flesh. That's when a little something went off in my head. And what was that? I knew. I knew as I was delivering this baby that this girl was a virgin. I thought at the time, no, no, I gotta be wrong. Virgins don't have babies. But then when the husband told me... You mean to tell me that the woman who had this baby was a, a virgin? As I stand before God, yes. Then I remembered. The prophet Isaiah himself predicted a virgin would give birth to Messiah. Then, when the shepherds came, they... The shepherds? From the watchtower of the flock, they told us of the angels. And then, they fell down and worshipped the babe. To think, these hands, these hands, delivered Messiah. Huh. Thank you, Hannah. Well, as you can see, Bob, something truly unique, maybe even miraculous, seems to have happened here. Something I don't think I can explain. Extraordinary. Simply extraordinary. Martha, thank you so much for that report. We're going to close our first edition report today by heading back to the city of Jerusalem. Sarah Harnish reporting from the Temple Mount. Sarah, what has been the reaction of this report of a Messiah? Bob, here in the outer court, there's been no official acknowledgement or recognition by the religious leaders or the Sanhedrin as they're known, but the reaction among the worshipers has been quite different. It's ranged from an undercurrent of excitement and hope to fear of Roman retribution. Most here are afraid to discuss it openly.
Have you found anybody who's willing to talk about it? I have found one, a man named Simeon. It seems that this elderly Israelite is well known and respected in the temple for both his devoutness and his righteousness. Evidently, this Simeon received a special revelation from the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw with his own eyes the Lord's Messiah. Simeon, has the Jewish Messiah indeed been born? God alone knows, my child. But I feel something moving in my spirit. If it's not now, it's soon. How will you know if it is indeed the Messiah? I will see him with my own eyes. I will know. But how will you know? How do you know you're in the presence of God? You know. There is no mistake, my child. You know. But I also know Messiah will fulfill all that the scriptures and prophets have said of him. What kind of things? He will be from the tribe of Judah, as our father Jacob has said, and also the line of David, as Jeremiah prophesied. His birth will be in Bethlehem, the city of David, as foretold by the prophet Micah. He will be born of a virgin, as prophesied by Isaiah. He will be Emmanuel, the presence of God with us here, with us here on earth. He shall sit at the throne of his father David, and his kingdom shall never end. Messiah, I shall see him face to face. The Lord God Jehovah has promised me this. So you believe that this Messiah will be able to restore independence to the nation of Israel? (laughs) Restore Israel? My child, you think of politics and borders and just one more king among the kingdoms of the earth? (laughs) Oh, you are young, and your thoughts are young. Shall he restore Israel? He is Israel. He is the seed of Abraham who shall bless all the nations of the earth, the seed of our mother Eve who shall crush the head of Satan. He is more than the borders of Israel. He will be a light to the Gentiles, a great light shining in the darkness. He will be our salvation. For when Messiah comes, we will all, peasant to priest, know our Lord and God. And then he will write his laws on our hearts, and our sins he will remember no more. Restore Israel, my child. He will restore all of us. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Praise his name forever. Sarah, this is a much bigger view of the Messiah than we've ever encountered before. Much larger. Now, if Simeon is right, this Messiah would have implications for more than just the Jewish people. Sarah, could Simeon be possibly right? Bob, there are references in the prophecies of Isaiah to the servant of God who would be crushed for our iniquities. In other words, bear the guilt for our sins. Now, in reading the scriptures, this servant not only suffers, but much like the sheep at the Migdal Ader, dies as a sacrifice for these sins. And I'm quoting here, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. A Messiah that dies? Yes, but there's something interesting. There are also references in the prophecy of Isaiah that imply that after this servant is buried, he'll then see the light of life again. A resurrection from the dead? A resurrection from the dead. For a long time, the Jews have claimed to be the chosen people of God. Being the nation that produces a Messiah like this explains why Israel has the right to claim that title. Bob, if this story is verified, this baby born in Bethlehem is nothing less than the savior of the world. Thank you, Sarah. I cannot escape the impression that this is perhaps the most important story that you and I will ever cover. 
We will continue to keep you abreast of what's happening on this story and on this baby, now lying in a manger in Bethlehem. Thank you for joining us on First Edition. This is Family Life. <laughs>